Welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Miles, and this season of the podcast, we've been looking at the book of Genesis, specifically the, recently the stories of Abraham and his family, Sarah and Hagar. And today we're going to think about hospitality and times when um, in the process of welcoming others or being welcomed, we've really sensed God's presence in, in a powerful way. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to circle back to something that I think has been in our minds recently of how kind of crummy Abraham and Sarah are and how we don't necessarily feel very sympathetic for them and just kind of some concluding reflections on that. So without further ado, let's get pondering. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you, and I think to myself, Genesis chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh yes, you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. When you are having company come to visit, how anxious do you or other people in your house get for the company arriving? Right? Are you one of those people who, you know, if you know somebody's coming over, you make sure the dishes are away, you, you know, put the laundry away, you, you know, neaten the piles? 
I mean, maybe you're one of those really weird people that actually lives in a totally neat house, but if you're like, you know, the rest of humanity, <laughs> at least a little bit of kind of disheveled look in the house, uh, and when we find out the company's coming, it's like, ah, I got to clean up. And I know that uh, as pastor, I often feel like people, when, they, when I announce or they find out that I'm coming, they often feel like they need to put a little bit of effort. Um, and they don't go so far as to like have a Bible out on the table that uh, says John 3, you know, open to the book of John or something like that. But uh, yeah, uh, we often will try to put our best foot forward when we know that there are people coming. And this is what Abraham is doing in this story here. He has these visitors that are coming to him. And so he and and his wife, Sarah, are going to roll out the red carpet. One of the things we might want to assume, because the treatment is so nice here in terms of the, you know, the good, the good food and everything else, that, that Abraham and Sarah are doing this because they know that it's God who is visiting them. But if you read uh, closely, the, the, or you listen again to the podcast, the, the reading of it there, it's not necessarily obvious that Abraham and Sarah know who it is. In fact, some of Sarah's later behavior suggests she doesn't realize that this is actually God who's visiting her. Um, they are likely just doing this because anybody who would presume to come to their tent now, there was an obligation and an expectation in cultures at that point that you would extend a person hospitality in this case, sort of to to welcome somebody. So uh, that's just a, a point of, of curiosity here. Is there a way in which, um, yeah, do you think that, that Sarah and, and Abraham know somehow, spiritually, mysteriously, you know, obviously, you know, did the angel sort of have a sign that say, you know, I work for the creator of heaven and universe or something? Or, you know, how did, how did, you, did Abraham and Sarah know? Just, just a, a would you know if, if God were the one who were showing up to visit your house? If God were to be announced that, uh, that, that God were, was uh, at your door um, or God were coming, how, how might you uh, want to clean up your house? Or, or what preparations would you want? What would you, what would you try to cook for God? I, so it's a kind of a fun exercise to think if God were coming to your house, you know, what, what would you do? But uh, to push it even a little bit deeper, there's a, a Bible verse in the, in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews says, do not neglect hospitality, uh, for in, in extending hospitality, some have welcomed angels unaware. And it's a reference back to this, uh, this action here with Abraham, where uh, Abraham somehow invites the divine into the midst, which is a kind of a curiosity then of, to, to go further of, if God were among you, how would you know? Like, if God were, were, were visiting you, what might be a sign that, that, you know, this person actually is God? And then, even further, well, I mean, again, besides the fact that, like, let's assume for a second that we're not sort of blinded by the full presence of God or something, but, like, you know, how, yeah, what, what would be evidence for you that, um, you know, a mysterious visitor actually was, was Jesus? Um, and this story actually is relevant. That, that line of questioning is actually interesting because it's in the New Testament that um, in one of the Easter gospel texts in the church, uh, one of the parts of Luke 24 is that two people are walking along the road and Jesus is walking with them and they don't recognize until later that he was with them. So again, how might you know that, that God is among you?
And also, have you had the experience of welcoming a stranger where that has been such a blessing for you? And, and not just um, a blessing, but something where you had a sense that, that God was really present. I think we've all maybe, or fortunately, hopefully, you've had those opportunities where you somehow uh, had an interaction with a stranger or, again, maybe welcomed a stranger into your own home, and there was just blessing out of that. I, my parents uh, have a real ethic of welcoming people. Um, it's like every major holiday, there's some somebody my mom met somewhere that was maybe in some level of need or not an American or, you know, that somehow they they have a place at the table. So my family has a strong ethic of this, and... Um, it's produced some awkward moments over the years, but it's also really beautiful to be uh, blessed by, by having people uh, come uh, into our midst. A time that I really felt, though, again, the, the way in which strangers can, can be a blessing from God to us. I was, I was with Emily on our honeymoon, but not honeymoon. Uh, it was kind of a I don't really know if I can count it as a honeymoon, but we were in Greece, and I was doing some religious research. Yeah, it's it's a long, kind of a long story. But um, if if you're going to take your your spouse to uh, Greece for their honeymoon, spend more time uh, in the beaches than uh, doing sort of walking through archaeological sites. Uh, <laughs> but but anyway, that 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 piece of free advice aside, uh, we were there and. We were at night. We went out for dinner, and there was a couple, I think, with even kids there from India, and we struck up a conversation. And in the process, I think because I again said that I was doing this religious research, we started talking, and had this really rich and really awesome conversation about faith. And then uh, this person um, sort of gave his perspective on Jesus, and I don't think he really would have considered himself a Christian, but he was sort of this the Hindu, but he had this like, real openness to Jesus. And he was saying things like, well, yeah, of course they crucified him. And of course Rome did this. Like, you know, when the poor masses of the world hear the story of Jesus, they totally get it because they know that the powers that be always are oppressing and hurting people who try to rise up and speak justice. And he didn't say it in like some mean, like he was ready to start the revolution tomorrow. He just sort of had this like matter of fact, like of course the poor in the universe like would understand the story. This is like how they got treated every day. And it was just really fascinating to hear this perspective on Jesus from this Hindu guy um, who sort of grew up in like, you know, countries like billions, uh, like a billion poor people. Yeah, really fascinating. So there's ways in which when we invite people in, um, we're, we're hot, we just can have these ma- magic's not the right word, but really divine moments. Um, I remember my brother and I were traveling to Tanzania, and the first night we were received into somebody's home, in, in part because there had been previous hospitality from, from others, and we were sort of the, the end of this sort of, we were the next chapter in the sort of the cycle of hospitality. And after basically 24 hours of flying and, and traveling, to just have this, you know, hand-squeezed mango juice was just, just so delicious. So, so just thinking again about times you've um, been received, uh, times you've welcomed others, and, and sort of where divine surprises have been in that mix, either that you've received or maybe even that you've offered to uh, other people. Okay, so, so there's a lot about hospitality uh, in this week's uh, podcast. Next, I'd like to reflect on miracles. The story of Abraham and Sarah does not have a lot of miracles. 
know, there's crazy stuff that happens, but but generally it's sort of like, you know, Abraham heard a voice calling him, which in itself might be strange, but Abraham heard a voice calling him. He goes to a place, there is not enough room, so there was a famine, he goes down here, and, you know, later on his wives are upset with each other, unshockingly, and um, it, it just seems, again, as, as if they're... Um, there are things that are strange, and for instance, God sends the the uh, plagues uh, against uh, Pharaoh when he takes Sarah for a wife. But generally, again, the miracles are are not are not totally out of the laws of physics and science. And I think there's kind of um, two ways in which we can think about the Lord's miraculous activity. Um, well, I guess. The, the one, I'm curious, you know, which one of these two, and I guess I'll offer a third school of thought. You know, one school of thought is simply that there are no miracles, um, that sort of the last 350 years have really uh, been with both the Enlightenment and then the scientific revolution, a sort of a rejection of the idea that, um, that we needed the divine to explain things. So, like, you know, there's thunder and lightning, not because Zeus is mad at Hermes or something, but um, because of, you know, ions building up in a capacitor-like way due to, you know, whatever forces in the summer, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but, but then even more than that to sort of the scientific explanation, the last 250 years has sort of pushed um, toward a, a world, and sometimes this is called the imminent frame, where the, the way the world works is that there's atoms and there's stuff, um, and, and a real rejection that there's sort of a spiritual dimension that is somehow interacting with. This doesn't say there's not a spiritual dimension after we're dead or something, but generally that there, if there really isn't an active spiritual dimension that interacts with us. And that, that again, that's probably the way in which most of us sort of functionally uh, live our lives, um, as if it kind of like, you know, there's cause and effect and I live in that world. Um, and there's chemical reactions in my brain. But for most of human history, again, there was a, a much sort of more enchanted view of life, uh, again, in which miracles were, were happening. And the, the way in which miracles can happen, I'd like to suggest are sort of two. One is that miracles can be something that are a total breakdown of science and logic. Um, that, uh, for instance, the resurrection of the dead, right? That this is just something that um, just doesn't happen. And, and so um, it's, it's just sort of a, a stopping of the, the laws, the way the universe is supposed to work. The other way that miracles can happen is that there's something that um, has pushed the bounds of what's possible, but in such a way that it seems like such a probabilistically so low event that we're, we're sort of forced, especially when more than they start happening in, in a row, to kind of say there has to be a divine origin to them. Uh, now, in this case where Sarah is um, sir, becomes pregnant at an older age, this probably falls in the camp of something that could conceivably happen. Get it? Conceive there? Did you catch that? Could conceivably happen, um, sort of pushes the bounds of, of sort of science and reason, but doesn't necessarily break the rules as, say, the resurrection of the dead does. Um, and I think that's sort of then worth maybe reflecting on in our lives. Would you say you're somebody who typically has sort of a more materialist 
kind of enlightenment worldview that sort of, you know, stuff happens in this world, there's always cause and effect? Are you somebody who's willing to sort of regularly say that sort of God intervenes to sort of break scientific rules sort of for our sake? Um, or are you at least willing to say, hey, you know, I, a lot of stuff is cause and effect, but it seems like every now and then there's some way in which God is and the spiritual dimension is sort of interacting with our own. And that might be through voices that, that call us, inspire us, encourage us. Um, maybe that is just sort of the way in which sort of certain events stack up as if, again, there was sort of, if not even a hand, sort of gentle breezes kind of aligning things up. So, uh, I, I, so again, I just would invite you to, to wrestle with that, to ponder that, to discuss that. You know, where in your life do, do you see um, sort of a, a spiritual dimension? Do you, do you sense that there is a spiritual dimension, sort of an enchanted world that sort of breaks into everyday life? Or do you have a sense that, that that's not really comfortable uh, for you? Or are you one of those just out and out, hey, you know, every day the spiritual realm is in interacting with mine and I, you know, try to really pay, sort of dial myself into that. So just a, some reflection there on, on miracles and, and, and a world that's maybe in, with, and under, beyond sort of the everyday life. Um, and yeah, yeah, how, how, what your sort of sense of that sort of otherness and, and miracles uh, in your life are. I want to try to draw together these strands that we have of hospitality and welcoming, as well as the miracles and the sort of the sense of a, a spiritual dimension um, to, to this world we live in. And I want to draw them together with a painting from history. It's actually an, an icon uh, from, I think, about 500 years ago or so by a Russian Orthodox uh, painter named Rubelev. And you can feel free to look it up online. Just type in Rubelev, and probably once you type that in, icon or trinity will be the second word in your Google search, um, R-U-B-L-E-V. And the painting shows, um, it's of this story of Abraham, but it doesn't focus on Abraham and Sarah. <clears throat> Instead, it has three figures representing God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit around a table and there's a simple meal, kind of like a Eucharist or a communion meal. And these three figures um, have a it's it's a it's a beautifully done work in in that they're um, they're in relationship with each other in a way that your your mind your eyes just kind of always flow around the circle. Sort of you don't just focus on one of the three, you just kind of are sort of you're sort of again forced into sort of dance around this table. And uh, and there's something sort of eternal yet still inviting about the the three that are there. And what's also really cool then is, and there's a little bit of a mystery that there's a so the three again the three figures are on the table, but there's a an empty spot sort of at the table. It's not fully empty, but there's sort of a gap, and in that gap is a little rectangle. Uh, drawn on on the icon, and there's a there's a speculation that there may have been a mirror uh, there, just a little mirror that you could see yourself in this, because what Rublev I think was trying to do, or many have suggested he was trying to do, is really to put into art this idea in in Orthodox theology that God invites us into the divine, 
that uh, God invites us into the life of, or even we might say poetically, the dance of the circle of, of the Trinity. Now, that may be uh, maybe a little bit uh, abstract for, for us, um, but beautiful nonetheless. But to maybe make it a little more concrete, the stories of Abraham and Sarah show them not always doing the right thing. And that's really almost disappointing for us as readers to us. Like, look, I don't even have sympathy for them after a while. I'm mad at them. <laughs> Yet God is choosing still to be faithful and to show up in their lives. Um, God is still inviting them uh, to be part of, of God's story, and God still wants them to invite God in to be part of their story, right? God is still choosing to be hospitable and welcoming to them, even though they haven't really deserved or proven this. And, and so this, these stories of, of Abraham and Sarah, as difficult as they have been at points, um, my hope is that you can hear within them um, an invitation by God uh, to, to have God enter into your life, uh, a life that is likely not perfect, that, that has lots of warts and things you don't want other people to know about, bumps and imperfections in your family and in your life and in your faith. Yet, yet the miracle of miracles is that God in Jesus Christ is choosing to still enter into the human story um, to sort of leave the comfortable spiritual space where everything works and to go into the human realm where things are broken and sinful, tragic, yet still because of God's grace, uh, beautiful. So that's just, uh, that's hopefully it sort of draws us to a conclusion then that um, in the stories of, of Abraham, there's hospitality, there's miracles, and then miracle of miracles that God welcomes us into the life of God.